If you remember right, as we've been studying this, there's been three major things we've been trying to deal with. We've been trying to deal with, number one, this idea is that all of us have, because of the fall, a predisposition to miss the point. And if you remember right, and this is going to become absolutely grained in all of our heads, is this statement, if you don't think you're missing the point, you're what? Good, okay. We're getting there. With it, we've always got to keep that in mind. That's our predisposition. We're designed by God to display him to the world that when Jesus Christ came and rescued us, our life now became about how can I display Jesus Christ to the world. That's why he gave us the mind of Christ so that we can walk like Jesus and talk like Jesus, interact with the world like Jesus. And he gets to his second point is, is that at the end of it, though we miss the point, the point is always Jesus. That's the solution to everything. That when we talk about how we're to live, how it is that the church of Jesus Christ was formed, everything that Paul is going to answer is going to always come back to Jesus. And especially what I said before in 1 Corinthians 2.16 is that what God designed us now to be as followers of Jesus is to look like the one who saved us. But it, the Bible's clear. He's transforming us into the image of Jesus so that we can display God well to the world. But the only way that that is ever going to happen, and thank God we're not left here on our own to try to look like Jesus, God gives his spirit. It's the only way that this can happen. And so this is what Paul's been walking through. Is Number one, he's been dealing with a problem. And if you remember right, last week we talked about this, that the solution to the problem is don't go past what's written. Stay in the text. Don't exit the text. The text will tell you the type of church that you need to be. And what he's going to do today that's real interesting You see, I think he's going to hammer us on a question that all of us need to deal with. And it's this question, do you want Christ-likeness more than anything else? Do you really? See, I thought I did. About 15 years ago, um, I was kind of a newer believer, young pastor. Uh, I found out from my dad and eventually from my mom that they would be getting a divorce. I remember just being devastated by it. If you've ever been a kid that's walked through the divorce of your parents, I mean, I know parents go through a grand difficulty, so I'm not trying to diminish their pain, but that was just kind of what I was dealing with. I had a dad that I highly respected that had an affair. He walked away from the family. My mom is devastated. I'm broken. I'm not sure what to do with things. And I was just, you know, you hit these just low points in your life that you kind of don't know what to do. In the middle of all of it, I found out that my wife was pregnant, and we didn't think we'd be able to have kids, and so when I find out that she's pregnant, I'm like, woo, we're going to have a baby, you know, so I'm thinking, okay, their marriage is falling apart, but we're going to have a kid, and and just a few weeks into it, she miscarried. And I remember sitting across, there was a guy that I used to meet with, a former pastor, and here's his name, Don Knotts. (laughs) I love that. A lot of them said, who's Don Knotts? If you don't know, ask your aging parents, but... Um, and then watch the Ample Dumpling Gang. It's great. Um, but I remember sitting across from him. And you know how we have these wine sessions where we sit across from somebody, you know, and I was whining to him about life and how awful life was. And there's something cool about an older dude that's walked with Jesus for a while. And he sat there and he just kind of nodded at me and agreed with me, you know, just kind of sitting there. And I get all done, you know, and I'm ready now for him to just go, oh, poor baby, come here, give Uncle Donnie a hug, you know. And he looks at me, he goes, wow, Todd, it looks like you've got a tough decision. I go, what? 
Because I think you're going to have to answer the question, would you rather have Christ-likeness or your parents get back together? Now, it's not as if he didn't want the, the marriage to be fixed. Don't get me wrong. But he was asking me this question, would you, would you rather have Christ-likeness than anything else? And even the way he framed it, would you rather have Christ-likeness or comfort? I sat there for a little bit. You know, even on your own, you kind of, you know, no, I, I want Christ-likeness. I want Christ-likeness. And he goes, well, but then you've got a harder question. He goes, do you want Christ-likeness more for your parents than if they were to get back together? What if at the end of it, they never get back together, but they look more like Jesus Christ? He said, they didn't get to the point of getting a divorce by no reason. They got there because they forgot what the point of life is. Would you rather, the coal is, when we talk about Christ's likeness, would you rather your parents display Jesus Christ well to the world, or would you rather them get back together? Sometimes they're synonymous, but sometimes they're not. And I'm sitting there dealing through my own parents going, yeah, I, I want it. And, and by the way, by the grace of God, both my parents now are walking with Jesus. They're not back together. I'd love to tell you the grand story that everything is peachy and we have puppy dogs and rainbows. But at the end of it, though, here's the key. He was prophetic. My parents are more Christ-like than when they started the divorce process. Now, where it got difficult is when he looked at me and he said, now let me get more personal. What if God never allows you to have a kid, but you look more like Jesus at the end of it? Will you accept that? See, he was getting at my heart, isn't it? It's getting at the heart of all of us that are followers of Jesus Christ. Is Do I want Christ-likeness more than anything else in my life? And really the question is, do I want a life that displays God well to the world? That's what Christ-likeness is. Now, what Paul's addressing here in this particular text is, is this very question. And what's happened is, is there's leaders that have come into this particular church that were more about comfort, more about prestige, more about honor, more about all the things that this world kind of has to offer than Christ-likeness. And this is now what Paul has to address. This is the key issue. Is are you going to now, he says, find your comfort and safety and security in what this world has to offer or do you want more than anything else Christ-likeness? Now what he's going to do that's so good to kind of jar their world is he's going to use sarcasm to do this. Now I bet you never knew that sarcasm is a spiritual gift. <laughs> and some of us are really good, aren't we? Now to make sure that we all understand the issue of sarcasm is there's two types of sarcasm. There's bad sarcasm and good sarcasm. Let me give you an example of each using my own life. A few years ago, my wife and I decided we were going to buy a van. Now, for my wife, that was devastating because the moment, you know, you're no longer, like, cool once you get a minivan. So we go out, we find one, and I looked at her and I said, baby, good news, we found a black one. <laughs> my van, you know, I mean, just... So we're thinking, yeah, a hot van. So for fun, the next morning, she wakes up, and we look at each other, and, and I looked over, and I go, you just don't look sexy anymore. <laughs> Sarcasm. 
if you haven't been married for a while, that was stupid. <laughs> but I was trying to convey a point. You own a van now just to have fun with her. Didn't work so well. <laughs> That's bad sarcasm. Then there's good sarcasm, right? My daughter walks in a few days ago and she's like, oh, dad, I'm so hungry. I think I'm going to die if I don't eat. That's one form of sarcasm until her dad looks back at her and went, oh, it must be awful. Now, was that bad to do to her? No, by saying to that statement, is it that we draw out this dichotomy to our thinking? We kind of stretch it out. What Paul's going to do is he's going to put himself on comparison to these particular men using sarcasm as a mean to put the two out there. He's not trying to undercut them. He's trying to make a point to show that there's a difference between the life that Paul is calling to them to, which is to be Christ-like, and the world that they're calling them to, which is to find their identity and to instead of brag about Jesus, to make a life that brags about myself. Now, here's the kicker. You know this. No one ever becomes Christ-like without passing through the furnace. What they were being told, and you can even see this off the front end. Look at verse 8 with me. Paul's writing, and he says, look at this. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. And his point, and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. In other words, they thought they'd arrived. They were probably being told, you know, that a Christian, a really good Christian, never goes through suffering. <laughs> a good Christian will never have pain and heartache. If you really walk with God, you're going to be somebody that doesn't go through these things. And so those of us that are spiritual, it's almost like we're already in heaven now. Forgetting the fact that Jesus didn't become the king he was without going through suffering first. And even when you look at places like 1 Peter, where the goal of 1 Peter says is because of the suffering that Jesus went through, understand, in order for you to be shaped and molded in the image of Jesus, you're going to have to go through suffering as well. And so Paul is sitting there trying to help him understand that in order for us to display Jesus well, if you take that mindset, you will never display him well. You will never become Christ-like. Now, oftentimes, you know this, I want to be like, you know, the Apostle Paul. I, I want to be the Apostle Paul, but do you really want to go through what it took to make him the man that he is? You think Billy Graham became Billy Graham overnight? See, what Paul is looking at is, is do you really want to be Christ-like? And then watch what he does in regards to him and the other guys. Verse 9. He says, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles as the last of all men, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, to men. Okay, if you want to follow Jesus, the point of this passage is, you're going to have to walk his path. That's not something we talk about as Christians often, do we? So often we want God to come in and make my life better, to make it more rosy, to, to, to make these things. And the reality of coming to know Jesus Christ is, is do you think if he would ask his one and only son to walk a difficult path, he wouldn't ask us as well? See, at the end of it is because God isn't after our comfort like the world offers. He does comfort us. He's after Christ-likeness. 
And there's things then that Paul's going to share, and now he's going to use sarcasm again to show the distinction between what he's teaching and what these teachers in Corinth were teaching to help them understand that we're, we're different in how we approach this. Now watch what he does when he talks about this in verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake. Oh, but you are wise in Christ. We're weak, oh, but, but, but you're strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. Now, he's saying this because some of the obstacles to me then being a Christ-like person is laid out in this first little kind of sarcasm section that he puts together, which is this. Do you want reputation more than you want Christ-likeness? That's really what he's asking. Do you want to build a name for Jesus or do you want to build a name for yourself? Now, with this, we know that, you know, last week I said we're going to talk, you know, you were worried about what I was going to talk about because it was going to involve your motorhome, okay? Don't you think it's deeper than that? It's not about a motorhome. It's about a desire of the heart. See, I don't have to ask you to give up your motorhome. My job as a pastor is to get to that heart place where we ask it about all the issues of our life, on whether or not I want to be Christ-like or not, whether or not I want to display myself or I want to display Jesus. Now, what's interesting, in, as we think through this concept of reputation, it, I, I have an easier time applying it to myself than I do thinking about, like, my kids. See, inside of the United States, you know this, is that what we have for children is, is that in order to look good to the world, you need to get a pristine education. You need to walk through the exact right schools. You need to be able to get to the end of it and have a, not a 4.0 anymore, I've heard. Now we're shifting towards like a 5.0, and pretty soon there'll be the 10.0 or something like that. You need to get involved in all the clubs. You need to do all the things so you can go to the right schools so that when you get to the right schools, you can get the right job that helps you get the right hot wife that allows you then to get the right car that allows you to get the right house with the red door, the big tree, the swing, and the two and a half kids. Question. Would you rather your kids look more like Christ or lose their soul? A few years ago, I was sitting there, I was a young pastor, a family, a kid that was in my student ministry decided to park their van behind the church and kill himself. I walked in and, what's a 25-year-old going to say in a room like that? There was kind of a bunch of people planning a funeral, but you know those moments where you see somebody in intense pain and you just look at them? And I watched a dad just broken. They're all talking funeral stuff, songs that need to be sung, and all these different things. And finally, I looked across them, and I said, are you all right? There's kind of a pause there, and he looks back at me, and he says, Todd, it's interesting. I did all the right things in my son's life. I got him to the right schools. I got him involved in the right things. He goes, I gave him everything. He was getting A's in everything, but I missed that he was getting an F in life. He was pondering that question, wasn't he? Do I want Christ-likeness in my kids more than anything else? Now, there's no secret formula. I don't want you to leave today and think that somehow if I follow a secret formula, my children will turn out to be cherubs. No. 
but are you faithful? Now, on that level, it's the prestige level, which is kind of easy, right? We can deal with that one. And usually when I talk to guys, we can confront each other on our little prestige issues. But now Paul's going to take it to a whole new level. Do you want Christ-likeness not only more than prestige, but look down at verse 11. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. He says, we labor working with our own hands. His point he's getting here is this idea of not only prestige, but now health and wealth. (laughs) Somehow within the church, this thing of health and wealth has come into it, which says, follow Jesus and you'll be rich. Oh, because he was so filthy rich. And everybody that followed him after the apostles, I mean, they were rolling around in the Bentley chariot at the time, I'm sure, you know, going from place to place, looking all hot. His point is here, though, do you want Christ's likeness more than you want your health and wealth? Uh Uh-oh, now he's digging into the gut a little more, isn't he? Would you rather have cancer and look more like Jesus than to not have cancer and not? Am I willing for God to take everything away from me? Not because he's an evil God, but think about this. If God's goal is Christ's likeness in your life, won't he then do anything to shape you and mold you into the image of son, whether it's to bless you with things or to bless you by what? Taking away things. But again, to take it to another level, would you desire Christ's likeness more in those that you love, even if it meant they also walk through poor health. If it meant your kid walked with Jesus in a greater way, would you be okay if they contracted a weird form of diabetes because it would shape and mold them into the image of Jesus? Because even sometimes, it's not for the person that's sick, it's also for who? I want Christ's likeness more than my health and my wealth. A, a friend of mine that goes to church here, Keith, a few uh, uh, months ago, he was taking a guy named John to go get dialysis. And he's a guy that, if you've seen John around here, um, he can't see, and so I love to play jokes with him about not being able to see, but um, I'm not a bad person. <laughs> but with it... He started taking him, and he got to know John. John wasn't a family member, wasn't a guy that's been a buddy with him for a long time. But all of a sudden, as he was talking to John, you know those moments where the Spirit just kind of starts prompting you to do something? And it's not like God's going, Keith, give John your kidney. But in it, he started asking the question, what do we need to do to help our brother in Christ so that he can model Jesus better to the world? And he even thought that he had this thought, shouldn't one of us give up our kidney for him? <laughs> so they show up to the doctor's office the first day that he takes John. And John, or Keith starts asking John, you know, what's the process? And, and so then, you know, the, the, he says, well, I mean, you have to have the right kidney. You have to have, have the right blood type. And Keith all of a sudden goes, well, what type of blood type do you, have to, do you have, John? He goes, A positive. Guess what kind Keith had? A positive. Keith starts feeling the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Why not your kidney? 
she starts making the determination, I'm going to do it. And guess which group of people tried to talk him out of giving his kidney? Christians. Don't take steps of faith and display Jesus. Whoa! After praying and wrestling through it just a few months ago, Keith gave his kidney to John, and John is doing great. He's accepted the kidney. Why? Now, because Keith wanted Christ's likeness more than he wanted health. And people kept looking at him going, yeah, but Keith, what's going to happen if your other kidney goes bad? Then I'll ask one of you for one of yours. <laughs> right? Do I want Christ's likeness more than anything in the world? Even so much that, yeah, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'll share a little money with you. You know, hey, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll let you share my house. I'll, I'll even give you a car. But to say, I'll give you a body part? Why? Because Keith is a masochist? No, because Keith wants Christ's likeness more than anything in the world. Now, trust me, he's got issues. He has the gift of sarcasm, too. So I don't want you to think he's that high. But it's not only around health and wealth. Verse 12, he now takes us into another issue. In the middle of verse 12, he says, When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. If the first one was, do you want Christ's likeness more than, than, than any prestige? Do I want Christ's likeness more than health and wealth? This next one has to do with, do you want Christ's likeness even at great cost to you? Specifically, great cost in regards to the way that people might treat you wrongly. Now again, this digs into an issue as well inside of our gut. We don't like to be wronged, and when we're wronged, we demand justice. <clears throat> and I am a justice guy. So one night, I'll never forget this, an issue, and it doesn't matter the issue, but because it so rarely happens in my marriage, but <laughs> sarcasm. My wife was dealing with an issue. She came in. She wanted to talk to me, and everything inside of me wanted to be right because that's who I am. I am a must-be-right guy. And she, <laughs> praise the Lord. And she had the audacity to come in and question the king of the house. I have plebes called children. And in that moment, you know those weird things where you just want to justify and set things right? But to be Christ-like and display God well is the willingness to be wrong. Paul's going to deal with that in a little bit in regards to lawsuits between believers. In fact, Paul is saying, wouldn't you rather be wrong so that Jesus can be displayed than to take it in front of court and make Jesus look poorly? But Paul, justice! Don't you see the image that's starting to be developed here? Do you want to look like Jesus who had every right to demand justice? But instead, he was wronged for our sake. See what I mean? Paul's calling them to look like Jesus. It's hard because it, it, we don't we hit these forks in the road every single day. 
We hit this fork in the road when we're on the freeway, don't we? Man, especially during the rain. I kind of been doing good lately with my freeway stuff, you know, and I'm thinking, no way, man, God's really doing a work in me. And then it rained. <laughs> and I had an opinion about every idiot on the freeway suddenly. Why? Because I wanted to voice my opinion about them more than I wanted to be Christ-like. More than I wanted to display Jesus well, even though nobody has a clue what I'm saying to them. But isn't it the issue of the heart? And what Paul's going to do in this very end of this last verse, of this little section in verse 13, he's going to now say this. He say, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Do you want that if that means you're going to look like Jesus? See, isn't this good stuff? But doesn't it just confront us? then what's the solution, Paul? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 14. I love this. I don't write these things to make you ashamed. (laughs) But, he says, to admonish you, watch this, as my beloved children. He's acting like a dad right now. And you can even see in verse 15, he says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, he's sitting there like a dad to them going, do you think those guys love you as much as I do? I'm the one that brought you into the world. If you could just imagine if your kids are being drug away by these people and you're not the parent that's looked at at your own kids and said, don't follow them. Trust me, don't go down that path. And you can almost see Paul's heart in it. He says, I'm not trying to make you look stupid. I'm not trying to make you ashamed. I'm trying to be the one giving you a warning and correcting you so that you can understand that the pursuit of what they're after will not give you Christ-likeness. In fact, the way Jesus said it is there's a way that is wide and a gate that is wide that leads to what? Destruction. Paul said, don't go there. Instead, like a dad who's walked the path would look at them, but there's a narrow path and a narrow gate that's hard, but it leads to life. It's him looking at him going, come on, follow my path. I promise you, you won't regret it. I promise you. He goes on, he gives them a little more info to help them understand exactly what he's saying. I urge you then, and you can just see this, be imitators of me. Let's go. But Paul, it's going to be hard, I know. But Paul, God's going to have to do a work in me, I know. See, I think sometimes we hear this and we think, oh, I've got to be perfect. God is not into perfection. He's into progression. He doesn't expect me to be the super saint overnight. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine if he made us the super saint overnight, how much painful, how much of a painful process that would be? Aren't you glad he just deals with a few things at a time, helping us understand, slowly moving us more and more towards the image of Jesus? And Paul's saying, let's go. But Paul, I got forks in the road. And haven't you found that most times that taking the difficult road is at most times the best choice, isn't it? 
the one that's hard, the one that's costly. The question I have for you is, not so much are we trying to make you like super saint right now. What issue do you need to deal with in your life right now? I know a lot of you at a fork in a road. You got issues that you've been battling with, little monsters that you have in your life. What's interesting and all, what's fascinating on this text is kind of one of my monsters. In verse 16, he talks about Timothy, or 17, he talks about Timothy being sent to them to remind them about what it is it was again. I sent you Timothy to keep you staying focused. But look at verses, verse 18. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Now watch this. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and spirit and gentleness? You see, and what kind of daddy do you want? I remember one time my mom said, you're going to call your father at work. And my dad basically said this to me. What kind of daddy do you want to have come home? Daddy that has to discipline or daddy that's excited you got it figured out? Now, where this has been interesting to me is, is I love to encourage. I, I, I love to encourage. I love to be an encourager. But at this point, Paul's being an enforcer, isn't he? Not arrogantly, not, not, not weirdly arrogantly. But you know just that humble boldness that only a spirit can give? See, if you're a leader in this room, if you're a fellow pastor, if you're a fellow elder, if you're a fellow leader maybe of a group, what he's saying is, is I want Christ-likeness in that church more than anything, and if need be, I will come back and I will enforce it. And where that convicts me is, is Todd, will you say anything to this church? Anything. Even if it means people walk away. Because I'll tell you what, one of my weaknesses as a person is I hate rejection. But God would ask me, Todd, do you want Christ's likeness more than you fear your rejection? Todd, will you say what needs to be said because Christ's likeness must be formed in this body above all things? And again, not arrogantly, but Todd, will you be the power of the Spirit with humble boldness, stand in front of the people, be able to work things within this church in such a way that the most important issue becomes Christ's likeness because the display of God into our world is more important than anything at all in this world? Todd, will you? It's wrecked me this week. Because I do fear saying things and you going, then, dude, I'm out of here. But you know what? I love all of you enough to say that we as a church are going to constantly say what needs to be said because Christ's likeness is more important than your fanny in a chair. And I don't say that meanly. I say that with love. The reason we're calling you to get involved in pockets of people is because your Christ-likeness is more important than your comfort. The reason that we're doing so much of what we're doing, and I hope it's the right stuff, I don't know sometimes, is Christ-likeness. And so maybe for some of you in this room, man, you're, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're listening to this thing going, whoo, 
Do I want to follow Jesus? And here's the good news. Aren't you glad I didn't hold anything back from you? See, if you're somebody sitting out there going, should I follow Jesus Christ? I've been honest with you today. It's not about puppy dogs and rainbows. It's not about those things. Follow Jesus. And you will become a person that displays God like he intended you from the beginning. The hard road is to deal with the issue if you're not a follower of Jesus is that I can't, I can't be the one that, 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 that in any way develops this relationship with God, that it has to happen through Jesus Christ. I can't do it. Father, you're going to have to be the one. And the good news for you is, is that Jesus Christ has made a way for you to know the God of the universe. And by faith in him, he will begin to transform you and make you to look like God intended you from the very beginning when he created this world, a displayer of God to the world. That's good news. But for those of us who are Christians in here, this is where we need to kind of examine our hearts. Because I think some of you in here need to deal with some sin. Boy, isn't dealing with sin uncomfortable? We don't deal with sin because we don't believe that Christ's likeness is better than anything. It's not just that you need to confess it to God. You need to confess your sin to God. And, and the beauty of confession to God is, is that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and, and I've met a lot of people that have a great confessional outlook with God, but they have a struggle confessing to one another. Why? Because of prestige. I don't want you to think wrongly of me. But I promise you, you will never become Christ-like until you get into the pattern of your life of confessing your sins to one another. And so today, the fork in the road for you is you, you, you need to sit there and ask God, God, would you help me to confess my sins to people so that they can walk with me and pray for me and encourage me and strengthen me and exhort me? That's your fork in the road right now. And the thing is, though, don't try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The only way you're going to ever pull this off is if the Spirit empowers you to do it. And so I'm going to bring leaders up here in a little while, and I'm going to string them out across the front. And if you're somebody that needs prayer because you're battling through sin in your life, and it just constantly keeps you entrapped so that you can't display Jesus well to the world, you're not experiencing Christ's likeness, come forward for prayer. Don't sit there. And in fact, right now, if you're sitting there going, oh, I don't want to, it's the, that's your flesh. The Spirit would say, deal with it. For others of you, man, you've hit some monsters. I know a lot of you, I look around this room, man, you're battling sickness. You're battling family issues. A lot of you have kids that have gone off the deep end. A lot of you are battling with issues with brothers and sisters and parents. Maybe you just need prayer that God would just help you to be Christ-like, to choose the hard path, to be willing to be wronged, even in the midst of difficult family issues. Be willing to tell your kids the truth that they need to hear, even if they might reject you. Not because you don't love them, but because you desire Christ-likeness more than anything else. So what I'm going to do is just leave it up to you. Nothing more than I want to be as a church that we pursue Christ's likeness. And so I'm going to bring the leaders forward. I'm going to bring the worship team forward. Over the next few minutes, we're just going to sing. And if you want prayer up front, we'll, we'll be up here for prayer. Leaders, come forward. Come. If you want prayer, we'd love to pray for you. 
If right now you're thinking you don't need prayer, you probably do. I'm really serious. I need prayer. It was so great this week. I had two guys that I got away with, and I just confessed a lot of my fears and insecurities to. Why? Because I needed them to pray for me. And so today's the day to deal with it. I always feel like sometimes people leave here and they've already forgotten what they were supposed to understand by the time they get to the end of the parking lot. Don't wait to deal with it later. Deal with it today. And so, Jared, if we could just sing, if you want prayer, come on forward. We'd love to pray for you.